Hey guys, Oren here. Before we start the episode, I just wanted to mention real quick that we are doing our live show on January 10th. We have awesome guests. We have Melissa Hunter, who is a TV writer, and we have Matt Barber, who directs a ton of TV shows. I just visited him on the set of Lethal Weapon, actually, which was really fun. And they're all going to be there talking about how we're going to get our TV careers going in 2018. If you'd like to know more information about the live show, go to justshootitpod.com slash live show. And we'll have the ticket info there. I think we might be on the verge of running out of tickets, but there is a wait list and we are very optimistic about letting people in off the wait list. So go check it out uh, and let us know what you think. And without any further ado, here is the next episode of Just Shoot It. Hey, welcome to the 92nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we are listening to the second half of our interview with Brad Payton. This time he'll really dig deep on his Netflix show Frontier and how that all worked out. And, and we'll hear more tidbits about directing freaking $100 million movies. Pretty uh, dope. It's a really fun interview. Please let us know what you think of it. Uh, also, let us know what you think of our show. Leave us an iTunes review. We would love you forever and be your best friends and, you know, give you feedback on your reels if you're interested in something like that. We'll even meet you at a coffee shop, potentially. Stranger things have happened. I cannot wait to dive into the finale of this conversation with Brad Payton. But before, there's just one thing I have to ask, Oren. What have you been working on lately? Well... It's funny you ask because I have my first drone gig this Friday. What? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Breaking news, uh, everybody. I had no idea. I know. So uh, to regular listeners, you'll know that I just purchased a drone recently and I have been having way too much fun with it. And It it has been pretty fun. uh, Yeah. Matt and I took it to the river, uh, but we uh, have some friends that are shooting some golf stuff and they want just like really cool shots of... Um, like a golf swing, you know, like the camera flying towards a golfer and as he hits the swing, like flying as if it's the ball, aerials, like just straight down shots of, you know, the golfer so we can look see his form and with all sorts of graphics and then just B-roll. Who is this for? Is this for Sawhorse? Golf Digest magazine. Yeah, it's Sawhorse. Oh, Nast. That's going to be fun, dude. Yeah. So Friday morning I'm shooting it. I'll let you know how it goes. I was telling uh, the director today, I was like, so do you need me to like fly into a golf hole because... That is going to be difficult. There's these things that I can do really well. I've been getting better. I can fly in a straight line. I can go up and down really fast. But tilting the camera up and down, Mm, I can do it, but it's hard for me to hit an exact point without the camera. Right. Like a small, like a hole in one would be pretty pretty rough. Um, Um, And panning is a little tricky as well. But yeah. You're paying this thing off already. That is great. That's awesome, man. Flying that drone is super fun. We'll have to do it again sometime soon. So uh, speaking of crazy aerial shots, let's talk to the director of San Andreas. And Rampage. And Rampage. And a bunch of other cool stuff. And Netflix's Frontier, available now. Brad Payton. So, okay, so you're doing these scenes where gigantic buildings are falling down, and then you need to shoot, like, a scene between two people at a restaurant, like, having a conversation. Yeah. Like, how do you approach, like, shot listing that so that it feels like it like fits the with the rest of the movie? Yeah. Like, the do, you don't, do you ever do, like, a two shot and two overs, and then you're like, that, that's the scene? Like, Yeah, of course. Yeah, like, you have to shoot whatever's appropriate to the scene, you know, like... For me, I think of it as like, I'm a story guy. Like, uh, that's what I 
like when I go to see movies, all I really want to see is a great story because what comes with a great story, generally speaking with high end filmmakers are really great visuals, really good acting. So, because it tells a really good story. And so for me with, with camera work, it's like, what is this, what is this scene about? You know, like, what are we really trying to tell here? Like, what, what is the point of this? Um, <laughs> I've gotten in arguments with producers where they're like, just shoot standard coverage. And I'll like, I've gotten mad because I'm like, go hire anybody can shoot standard coverage. Like, I'm not here to shoot standard coverage. I've shot standard coverage and you do, but you're trying, you're trying to do everything in a way that it's not standard coverage. Everything you're trying to make special on some level. However, some things just are meant to be two people sitting at a table talking. And you still put, I still commit as much thought and energy to that as I do to a big one because otherwise your story is flawed. Your movie is flawed and you're trying to like limit the flaws and they're going to be flaws, but you're trying to limit them to a very small number. And the only way that a filmmaker has the ability to do that is to be as specific about their inserts as they are about their masters, as they are about their close-ups, as they are about everything, you know, like every design shot, everything. You have to be that way if you really give a shit. So, um, you know, it just, it's, it's kind of like what's appropriate to the scene and that process. And even like when I shoot television, the process for me is instinctual. Like I, I sketch ideas, you know, and now I'm at the point where I see an idea and I go, oh yeah, that's an A camera and this is a B camera and I can do this like that. You know, like I, I, I understand how it clicks together more because I've just done it more, but I, I wish I could be like what I see with a lot of, um, other feature and television directors where that you can just tell they've done it so much. They have like, you know, like well, a B camera sure. like this, right. I'm like, not that guy. I'm, and it's probably great for my feature career and, and, and maybe not so great for my television <laughs> career, but it has yielded results in my very small TV career. But it's because I don't think of it as like, like you're saying, standard coverage. I go through a script and I see shots. I see moments and I'm like, what can I do <laughs> to capture that moment that way? And what's hard about, I think, the television world versus the feature world is that in the feature world, you're... Uh, afforded the ability to try to make every beat special, sure. yeah. you know, and you're like, you, because there is no other episode they ever have to worry about. This is it, you know? And so the onus is on you to make everything as special as you can possibly make it and as epic as you can possibly make it. And in the television world, it's like, tell the story, you know, get great actors. And I have a really hard time like, well, no, but I just picture it this way. You know, this moment should be this moment. Um, so you're trying to balance that a little bit, but it, I have a terrible knack of like, just, I read a script and I picture it and I sketch the ideas and I do like a little bit of coverage notes, you know, like, oh yeah, if this is this shot, then we're going to probably cut from here to here. Cause I've just done it enough now. When you say sketch the ideas, you mean like you draw a little, yeah, I draw like thumbnails, thumbnail sketch right in the script, you know, like I just kind of like just print up the script usually read a hard copy. I usually read it once on my iPad and, and I have a, like an I annotate program where I can just kind of like drop in notes. Mm -hmm. And that's usually where I'm still working with the writer or a co-writer and, and going through and saying, this is what I think we should do. And then, but to get really like, um, to get really ready to shoot, I'll sometimes have to like just put the director eye to it and go like, hey, how would this actually play out? And then the notes get really mm -hmm. specific because I'm like, 
I'm going to be in a master here. I'm going to be in a close up here. I'm right. going to be, you know, I'm going to do an insert here. Like this. So you're, is, you're editing it in your head before you're, you're on set. 100%. And are you worried about transitions from scene to scene and all that stuff? 100%. I've worried about everything. <laughs> I'm like, are you thinking about wardrobe? Like those 100%. types of things? All of it. All of it. I sketch characters. I do all, all of it. I do all that stuff. It's my favorite part. My two favorite parts are designing mm-hmm. and um, editing. Being on set is like, there's something pretty amazing, right? You're like a, the general of like an army, right? And I don't have those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I have the like, holy God, how are we going to get today? <laughs> so let's, let's transition over to TV for a second. So you have a show on Netflix. Yep. yep Frontier. Frontier. And yep. it's now it's in its second season. It is. Uh, we, are, we start shooting our third season in January. Oh, awesome. Oh, Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And so did you... Did you direct the pilot? I directed the first two episodes of season one and the first episode of season two. Oh, great. So but not, it's Netflix, yeah, yeah. so everything was like written before you guys started shooting, and right? Um, or is it not, no. not like that for your show? <laughs> like, it's not like network TV, right? Where no, it's like, it's like everything that. is going in parallel. No. Um, I, well, I'm like probably the worst director to talk to about network television because I actually have never worked in network television. So I'm not... I'm not very versed in the system. I don't really know how the system works um, for network television. But our process was, I mean, I, here's what's interesting is that Netflix is open to different processes. They're mm-hmm. actually really interested in different processes. And, you know, I'm talking to them about ongoing other projects. And what I'm really excited by with my relationships at Netflix is they're intrigued by things that they just haven't done or seen before. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. And so the the way our show came together was we had a pilot and they said, we like this. And luckily San Andreas had opened up the weekend before my meeting. So that mm-hmm. was that was sure. good. Wait, and you had already shot a pilot? No, no, no. We had a pilot script. Oh, okay, sorry. script. We'd written a script. And uh, they said, do you have a second script? And I said, yeah, but it's not as good. So I need some time to work on it. And they said, well, if you can... Get the second script as good as you do. These are our notes, which again, Netflix is amazing with notes where they just like four notes and they're like really broad. So you get a sense of the show they want to see, but they're not going to be like, this character should be like in this scene should really wear whatever or have right. a fork, not a knife. And you're like, okay. Whatever. And how did, what did they like about Frontier? The, the setting? The- they like the same. So my pitch to them and beyond being the guy who just did San Andreas, my thing was that you'd never seen this period uh, this way in a TV show or a film. And so if you look up the 1774, whatever, 1772 when it's when it takes place, and you look up movies, the only movies that you will find about that time period are all upper crust, mm-hmm. you know, royal royalty, the Duchess. And I went through and I watched them all trying to find blue collar people like the working class. And the Duchess, I found two shots. Because I was just like, what does it look like? Just visually, what does it look like? I couldn't find anything. So I was like, okay, I'm interested. Because I haven't seen this. And then when... Um, the closest thing you could find was Last of the Mohicans, which mm-hmm. was like 25 years later, I think. And um, I was like, okay, that's the closest thing that exists. And that's a hell of a movie. Um, now, we can't pull off Last of the Mohicans, but we can explore this time period and I've never seen it done. 
Um, When's the Revenant? Is that 1800s? The Revenant was... Well, so, okay, so this is interesting. So the Revenant hadn't come out when you were pitching this. The Revenant... Right? I didn't even know what the Revenant was until we were shooting. So I was like... So, and now the interesting thing about Frontier is that we shot the first two episodes because those are the scripts that were done. And then we had a Christmas break and where we wrote the, the last four of season one. Okay. So we kind of like tested... Mm-hmm. Oh, it, that's fun. We tested the first two to see what really worked. And like, I was the guinea pig, so it was terrible. Like, I was like, you guys can't do more fights at night with 45 <laughs> people. Like, Because you had to shoot like an episode in eight days or something, or what? Like, seven like days, a TV seven schedule? Seven days an episode, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And I had, a, I had a fight with like... Sure, you're used to rehearsing for five. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I was like, yeah, literally like, well, I mean, like any schedule would go, okay, you're shooting at night and you have a fight with, I, you know, like realistically it was like 24 people in a fight at night, you know, with Momoa yeah. and yeah. a bunch of his crew. Yeah. And so in that night we shot that scene, sneaking up to the house scene, spying on the house, moving toward into the house, going into the shed, rescuing the kid, carrying him out. Then the fight, then the escape. And like, that's insane. In one night. In one night in Canada, in Mm -hmm. January, in Newfoundland, (laughs) in the woods. And you're like, (laughs) this is all insane. This is all not like the, like, obviously the Revenant is amazing. Go look at how many days they shot it. Right. They, you know, they had to, they shot part of it in like, Argentina or something because they ran Prentice. out of snow yeah, yeah. where they were they shooting also, originally. They also did like a bunch of those wonders. They rehearsed them for like five days. Right. Mm-hmm. They rehearsed the shot for five days. I almost like shot San an entire Andreas. episode. Well, no. <laughs> I had a I had a I had I let, I let my camera operator go and he rehearsed what I designed. I kept shooting. Oh, okay. sure, sure. They just stopped down <laughs> and rehearsed for five days. Like, no, let's just stand let's just yeah, figure yeah. the shot out for five days. We shot the episode in seven. Right. So it's yeah. like, this is, there's no fair comparison here. Like, right. it's just totally different things, you know? Um, but so it was, it was like super challenging to do. But the key for me was just like, you haven't, you haven't seen this. Now, what's amazing about television that I'd never experienced before was this like growing process where, mm-hmm. you know, you start in episode one. And by the time I'd done the first two episodes, I was like, oh, my God, no, you can't send any other director. To shoot. This, is, this is never going to happen. Right. Like, I'm going to be the most experienced director that we have on the show. And, like, this is this was bananas, guys. Wait, and you're a producer on it, yeah. but not a showrunner. No, 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 not a showrunner. But I, I, I sort of assimilated into the showrunner or co-showrunner with the, with the, the creators. Right. Well, um, you created the look, obviously, kind of the language, the cinematic language of how the show yeah. is shot, the yeah. tone. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was the visualist, basically, you know, like mm-hmm. I was the person kind of designing the costumes with the costume designer and talking to the DP about the lighting. And, um, and, and I don't, my only regret on that is I don't think some creative partners of mine on the show realized how extreme I wanted to go because I would say it to them and they would nod and say right. yes. And then later it would be like, oh no, we can't go like that. Can't be that dark. And I'm like, no, it has to be that dark. Like, and then there'd be like debates on it. So right. season two really kind of like became what the show was ultimately supposed to be, mm-hmm. which is very small nudges in different directions. But I'd never experienced this thing where it's like, oh, you can develop a show, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like season one and season two, there's this like, there's like some pretty substantial leaps in like things like writing and uh, lighting things that where you were like, oh, we should go more real and the story should be a little bit more like this. 
you had that opportunity to kind of grow. Right. Right. Yeah. Like feedback. You can iterate a little bit too. Right? And feedback yeah. for ourselves. Yeah. Like we were doing it and then talking honestly to each other um, about like what could be better. And again, you know, uh, we're making this show in the middle of nowhere. It's a very challenging show to make. And everyone's like having to pick their game up to do it, myself included. And so it's like, it's kind of like you're just slowly climbing this mountain and trying to get better as you have like less and less oxygen, you know? <laughs> like, so it was, it was great to be able to do six episodes, stop down, look at it, have honest conversations, and then go back and do season two. And we did the same thing with season three. We kind of stopped down and said, okay, what, what's really good? What's really not? You know, and do you care like what, do you go online and see what characters people like and, like what people are responding to you, um, or yeah, between I mean, seasons? I, you hear about it even if you don't read it. You hear from other people. But honestly, like I could make up my own mind on that mm-hmm. stuff. I, I mean, I trust my own instincts with that stuff. And, and I'm okay with disagreeing with the general public. But generally speaking, I don't. I mean, I learned on, on Journey 2 that you have to be happy with your movie. And if you're happy with it, then you can kind of be okay with everything else. You know, like then it's all okay. Because... Mm-hmm. You're right. happy with. There's no other right. like. Some what people the, aren't going to like it, and you. Who cares? What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. Like, what are the you going to do? The movie is the movie. That's yeah, it. and right. you've made what you like, you know. And so I'm. I think I'm the style of filmmaker and storyteller I am because how I grew up, and because I'm making stuff that I like, and it just happens to be that the general populace likes the same sort of stuff I like, you know. Um, that's where I'm lucky, you know, and mm-hmm. I learned that again on Casadox 2 and Journey 2. I was like, no, I have to be who I am and do my own thing. So I read criticism. I hear about criticism. I don't take it as the bio, like gospel. I'm like, no, this is like, this isn't a point of view and an opinion. Um, and it's just kind of like the thing that, that no one realizes is how much time you had or how much money you have. Right. They we all just judge about everything yesterday. the same yeah. way, you know, which I don't think is fair, but that's the world we live in. And I'm, you know, like that. So when someone's just like, well, it's, you know, it's not the revenant. And I'm like, yeah, no kidding. You know, like right. it, there's no comparison between these two things. Yeah, but or, the revenant is not a, a TV show. It's like a long, each, each shot could be a TV show. <laughs> I'm also like, go look up the budget for the revenant. And like, look at our budget and look how much t- story we have to tell, right. you know, like it's just, you, I don't do these things because it's like ridiculous, but like you, people say ridiculous things like it's fact. Sure. Like, you know, like they're like, oh yeah, like they're comparing apples and oranges in the most extreme way and saying it to you in this tone of just like, that's what it is. And you're like, dude, <laughs> you know, clearly sure. don't really know what you're talking about. And sometimes that stuff is like tossed at you is like, here's fact. And you're right. like, so you right. just kind of take a little bit of it in. And you know, the, I, I'm more interested in like creative stuff that applies to it. And again, like, right. But if people like, I mean, you hear about breaking bad, like Jesse was supposed to be gone after like the second episode. And in girls, Zasha Mamet's character was only supposed to be in the pilot, but they like started working with them and they like loved the character so much right. that they were like, I guess maybe it was the filmmakers themselves that loved them that kept them. Yeah. And maybe 100%. it wasn't like feedback from no, viewers. Well, like, I think that like when you're a confident filmmaker, you're, you're seeing those. I mean, to me, that's like you see the opportunity and you're like, oh, man, we got to like this person's mm-hmm. awesome. Let's keep them around. Let's keep yeah. this person around. Or yeah. like, oh, God, killing this person is going to be terrible. We scripted them to be killed. But like maybe they can have a twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, so... Uh, maybe we can just finish the, this conversation. It's been really fascinating. Yeah, it's but, too good. Yeah. But to kind of bring it back down to you know a lot of a lot of our listeners who are kind of like 
at the place where they're like, want to move to Hollywood, want to get into this, but are intimidated or afraid. Like, you know, if you were talking to like a, your young self, like the one that just dropped out of film school, what, like, what, what advice you would you give? Yeah. yeah. And anything for kind of new filmmakers? What would advice would I give? Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think you need to move to Hollywood to be a filmmaker. Not necessarily. Um, I, you know, failed a lot in private in Canada, you know, mm-hmm. before I came to LA and failed publicly. But, you know, like, I think we're in more of a world where, you know, you don't necessarily have to conform as much. You know, I think you can. It almost seems like we're right now in a very much in a time where the less you are like everyone else, the better, you know, like a show like yeah. Transparent doesn't get sold 10 years ago. No. Right. Right. Well, right now, television is really amazing because, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. We call them libraries, like Netflix's library of shows. Mm-hmm. And it really is like a library. Like shows are like novels or, or chapters in a novel and a season is a novel. And really like television is that has become this thing where it's like going to the, for me, as I guess I'm old as the fucking hills, it's like going to the library and getting a book. It's like you can go in and go, I want this tone and this subject matter. Like mm-hmm. everything exists now, you know, as where it seemed... Like I think back when I was a kid and think about like what came out at eight o'clock on a Thursday night or a Tuesday or Wednesday and it's sort of all the sure. same. Like it's a little, it was a little more homogenous, you know? So now it's like you can make a show about the more unique the show is in a lot of ways, the better the a better. chance it yeah. has. Um, but, it, you know, so it's a different, it's a slightly different world um, than when I started as a filmmaker. But, you know, I definitely think the, the best advice I'd have is just to like go tell stories that you feel no one else can tell. That's what I w- that's what I tried to do when I started. I was like, I need to go make shorts that no one else could make this short as the, as well as I could make it, because that would be my only upper hand. Because I don't have any of the technical skills better than any of these other filmmakers. I you know like. You, you, I was wise enough to kind of see like they're going to have all of these upper hands. So what could I do differently? So, you know, my thing was to try to like figure out what you know better than mm-hmm. anybody else and really kind of explore that. And you'll find what you do well and what you do badly through the process of doing that. So, you know, that's one thing I would tell them. And the other thing is like, you don't necessarily have to rush to Hollywood. I feel very grateful growing up in Canada, starting my career in Canada, is a much kinder system in a lot of ways. You know, it was uh, it's a nurturing system. There's not this kind of like you can be a superstar overnight kind of sensation in Canada so much. So it's a slower road. And I couldn't really make the types of films I make in Canada. So I had no choice. And, and I kind of fell into this a little bit. But I felt so lucky that I wasn't, you know, like 19 and ran off to Hollywood to become a filmmaker because it's really hard. And it's the, the level that you're that you're playing at out here is like, there's really talented people. Um, and you know, starting off, it's going to be hard to compete with those guys. You know, the more you can kind of do on your own, not necessarily in private, but like the more you can kind of do in order to build your chops up before you come out and take that swing. Cause it's a big swing, you know, to mm-hmm. come out to Hollywood and try to do a movie out here is that's a massive, like you, I mean, I used to, I use sports analogies cause it's so easy, but it's like, you just got drafted you're stepping up to the plate and they expect a home run. Right. Like that's it. Sure. Yeah. That and anything, is, anything less is like a failure. Oh, congratulations. You got a single get out. 
you know, <laughs> like there's no, that's not the conversation. That's just right. not in the cards. That's, that's not reality. <laughs> you know, like that's not the reality I know. And especially if you're like, I want to, I want to prove that I can be a great filmmaker. You're not, you're certainly not looking for any kind of excuse to get a single. Right. You know, like, oh, no, that didn't really work out. Like, but I got on base, right? You're like, no, you're like, I want to be the guy who hits home runs. It, the more you can kind of hit singles and doubles and triples and do that and not feel the pressure of getting up the plate and hitting a home run, I would advise it because I age rapidly, you know, doing my first two movies. So, sure. like, I would, you know, say play. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that I regret not having more fun with my friends making films when I was younger. I thought about that the other day. Hmm. I thought about, like, you know, like you, I, you were really serious about I was everything too serious. Yeah. I well, I, I kind of had to be, but like, I didn't have the period where I have friends who had the period where like they have like 20, you know, like it was VHS tapes of movies they made with their friends, you know? And like, I didn't have that, you know, I kind of was like, Oh my God, I need to like, this has got to count. You right. know? Everything is right, important. Right. Everything's super important. Cause I, that's just the situation I was in. And so I do look back now and think about my younger self at like short film festivals and, yeah, I was really lucky. Like the stuff I made did well, and so I would get invited to be on panels, and I was like, "Whoa, holy crap! I'm on a panel!" You know, like, "What the hell is happening? This is amazing!" But I never got the, I got all of that joy, but I never really got the joy of like, "Oh, I'm hanging out with my friends making a movie. Mm-hmm. Isn't this cool?" I, I, I just kind of like became serious about the steps. Right. right away. Right. You know? Well, now you're friends with The Rock, so maybe it, all, it all worked out. Um, That's true. <laughs> so before we jump into our final, our unpaid endorsement segment, I just want can you just give us the quick pitch on Frontier, just because I want to yeah, make sure we're, we're servicing... Uh, the quick pitch, uh, like your, what it's about? Your PR company. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, like why you should watch it. Oh, um, I think the number one reason why you should watch Frontier is that... Uh, if you love Jason Momoa, we're the only game in town unless you have Batman <laughs> in your movie with you. Um, he's Jason occupies the character, mm-hmm. like in a way that I've rarely ever seen. Like this character he plays, Declan Harp, who's half native, half European, which is embedded in that time period in a in a a, a kind of uh, like a touchy way, right, but like, in a good way. Like, like it's, subversive it's, and controversial, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's interesting. Poten- it's potentially controversial, but we don't really like, we're very respectful. It was a matter of fact back then. It, it is. It's just these things happen. And so we, his character, like he had guys go and like find the material to build his clothes in like old mining shafts in New Mexico. <laughs> like he handmade all his knives from like knife makers. Like <laughs> he, he like... I, he gave me one that's a replica of his grandfather's knife from World War II, I think. And like that was my rap gift from Jason. He was like, this is my grandfather gave me this knife. It's from a handmade knife that he had made in Europe during World War II. And that was like my rap gift from him. Like this dude is into this. And when you have, when you're six foot four, 270 pound, half Hawaiian beast, and on top of that, you're like blossoming into a movie star sure, yeah. and you love your character. What he does with that character is what he's waited his entire life to do. He's just like, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. This is, the, this is the way that you need to do this. So for me, the most exciting thing besides and for like, you know, I was like, oh, visually, we haven't seen this time period and it's raw and it's cool. Like that was the thing that dragged me into like doing it and you know, wanting to do it. Um, but then when Jason came on and seeing what he was doing, 
I was like, this is bananas. This guy is like all in like 100%. So, uh, even if you don't care, and by the way, I don't love, you know, period pieces. Like I didn't make it cause I'm like, Oh, I love British period pieces. <laughs> I'm like the opposite of that. I'm like, how the hell am I going to stay awake? You know, what do I do with this material that makes me excited to watch it? Like if I'm that dude sitting in the middle of nowhere and like I'm flicking through Netflix and I'm like, so I was like, all right, well I would make it super paced up. I would make it really mm-hmm. aggressive. I'd make it as raw as I can make it. You know, um, I'd give it love stories and make it sensual and give it a soft side, which you never see, you know, like I would do all these things uh, because I want everyone to watch what I make. And so I try to do all that. And like, you know, one of the big things was like strong females and all that. But then on top of that, we get Jason pre Aquaman, pre justice league, all that stuff. Right. And he but just post game of Thrones, post game of Thrones, but long posts. Like he just, right. it wasn't like season two.